it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. It is a post-game edition. I'm here at Ford Field. I just watched Penn State whoop up on Michigan State uh, in a season that is blessedly over for the Spartans. It started with, uh, well, it started Jesse Simonson with some guy on the Central Michigan sideline. I, I don't know who it is. It looked, looked like somebody else, but we don't we don't know who it is. And uh, They can't find that credential, Andy. They still can't find it. Can't find it. But, but we, Penn State found its offense, or maybe they Michigan did. State's defense helped, but we got to talk about what happened in Eugene. We got to talk about what happened in Austin. This is a uh, this is a chalky day, very chalky day, Jesse. But it sets up everything else. So the Pac-12 title game is now set. It is Oregon versus Washington. There will be a rematch, and it will be spectacular. I think it's going to be great. I can't wait. Uh, this this Oregon Oregon State game. Look. Oregon State played tough the first half, but you knew when Oregon marched down the field right before halftime, th- this was not going to be close. No, I mean, Brock Heward, he called it. I mean, he basically said, you know, the way or- the way this game was unfolding, Oregon State had to, had to win the middle eight. And Jonathan, Jonathan Smith gets the team to go on this long, you know, uh, clock-eating drive, 14-7. Looks like they're going to go into halftime. With the ball to start the second half, you have a little momentum. Bo Nix takes him down in 30 seconds. He makes, you know, everyone was tweeting about it, his Heisman play where he throws back across, uh, completely across the field. Franklin breaks a, a tackle for, you know, what what is essentially a 50-yard touchdown. Boom, the Ducks have all the momentum. And then really, Andy, this was the revenge game for the Ducks' front seven. And they were aided yeah. by – you know, DJ's little brother hounding his his big brother. They were aided by Jordan. They were aided by Jordan Birch, former five-star South Carolina, you know, transfer. He was just in the backfield constantly. They really bottled up Danny and Martinez. This is, you said it from the jump. I can't wait for next Friday because that Pac-12 championship yeah. game is going to be bananas. It's going to be awesome. And, you know, I, I think the assumption is that Oregon wins, and, and if you look at the way they've played common opponents, they win. But I, I just – Washington's style may be the toughest one for Oregon to face. Like, Oregon's built – like, Oregon was reconstructed to beat this Oregon State team. Like, after what happened last year, Dan Lanning went back to the lab and reconstructed the Oregon Ducks to not lose this game the way they lost it last year. And you saw exactly how that happened. And I think no matter how this season ends for Oregon, Andy, a lot of folks, when they do kind of the autopsy on on how the Ducks have gotten here so quickly under Dan Lanning, I think, to me, without doing this autopsy, I think you can just see that the, the theme or, or the, the central answer to this question is, he watched what Kirby Smart's done at Georgia and said, we're going to build the most balanced, you know, ruthlessly efficient team on both offense and defense. And I think that's what Oregon is 
compared to any other team in the country. They're the closest to Georgia just in terms of being ruthlessly balanced on both sides of the ball. And Bo Nix, 33 of 40, 367 yards, two passing TDs and a rushing TD. So he will get another week, another game where everybody's been watching him. Jaden Daniels does not get another game before the Heisman Trophy vote. I still think Jaden Daniels' numbers are going to make it tough if you do that blind resume thing. But you also have the people who feel like it, it's a it's a best team award, even though it's it's an individual award. And so I, I think Bo Nix has a chance in that showcase game in Vegas on Friday night to really show out. And, and so does Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. Yeah, and Bo's going to get aided. I don't know if you saw this because you might have been coming up from some from from some post game stuff there at at Penn State, but. Uh, Fox flashed a graphic that I think is going to get flashed a bunch in the next week that could aid Bo Nix's Heisman candidacy, which is he is now putting up better numbers than what Mariota did in his season, winning the Heisman. Um, And so they kind of flashed that side-by-side comparison. He matched, actually, Mariota's touchdowns 43 tonight. And obviously Mm -hmm. he's going to have more games to play, another game to play. Um but I think that's going to be something that, you know, Oregon has not been shy about promoting Bo Nix and that Heisman candidacy. I think that's something they're going to continue to kind of send out and push uh, over the next, you know, six days to kind of make sure that that's known by the, the thousand of people that have a Heisman vote. Well, and as well, they should. And, and the thing is, Bo Nix is an interesting case study because Heisman votes, people always talk about them in terms of regionality. And Bo Nix plays for a West Coast team, but Bo Nix is from Alabama. Bo Nix played three years at Auburn. Like, people in SEC country are very aware of Bo Nix and actually like Bo Nix quite a bit. I think, you know, nobody blames Bo Nix for what happened at Auburn. Bo Nix happened to play for some Auburn teams that had – it's interesting, Jesse. When Bo Nix played at Auburn, what were the two worst position groups on the team? Offensive line and receiver. Look at what he has around him at Oregon. Well, not only that, but I mean, Bo Nix, you know, he, he had he the Bo Nix road woes became kind of a narrative, but that's because he had to go on the road and was having to play Georgia and Alabama. You know, it's a little and, bit and different when you get to good offensive line in front of him. Exactly, exactly. But also, you know, he's a case of you're not a finished product. Growth isn't linear. He wasn't done, uh, you know, as a sophomore. He wasn't done as a junior, and he has clearly worked tirelessly to not only improve. But I don't think you, me, or anyone in the national media thought this time a year ago, even 18 months ago, that Bo Nix had a legitimate NFL future. And now he's a guy that could not only be, not only will absolutely have an NFL future as a backup at minimum, but he could be a first or fringe early second round pick. And that just shows remarkable growth. If you'd have told me that that a year ago or, or a couple of years ago that Bo Nix would probably get picked in the first three rounds of the draft. I'd been like, you, no, absolutely not. No, but I mean, look at the command he has and I get it. He's older. He is older. And, and that matters in the, in the draft, but so was Hendon hooker and he got drafted high. Exactly. Exactly. And, and Bo Nix has the same kind of command that Hendon hooker had last year in his offense. And it's been fun to watch. And it's just the vindication of Bo Nix has been awesome because I just, I remember when he was a freshman and he came in with all his expectations and he got kind of thrown to the wolves and then you had the whole good bow, bad bow. And then that first year with Harson and it was just, I mean, he, 
he never got put in a position to succeed until he got to Oregon. Well, there's a real irony that he beat Oregon in his first game as a freshman. Yes. And 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 yet it's wearing a Ducks uniform is where because then the hype exploded, you know, the no. bow nose and all that after in week one of his freshman career. And then the expectations became a little outlandish, whereas now flash forward five seasons, he started more games than any other quarterback in college football history. And he looks like he is going to live up to that five star or has lived up to that five star billing wearing a Ducks uniform. It, it's been a cool one, a, one of many cool stories uh, in college football this season. Well, and the balance on this team is crazy. This one, this time it was Tess Johnson, 11 catches for 137 yards. By the way, Bo Nix is basically adopted. That's brother. his boy. Yeah, yeah that's his, that's that's his, his boy. Brother. I mean, so this is, it, it's such a great story and it's, it's, it's so much fun. And that game in Vegas is going to be awesome. Because remember, the first Oregon-Washington game was awesome. It really comes down to how you feel about going forward on fourth down on those three occasions. And I kind of hope it comes down to that again. And and we get to see these, you know, you got to gain. If you can gain these three yards, you win. If you can't gain these three yards, you lose. Like, I would love the drama of that again. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's going to be a game where, you know, Oregon's defensive line seems to be on the ascent, Andy. And Washington's yeah. offensive line has been banged up at times. They did return a couple starters last week. Uh, we'll see what happens, obviously, tomorrow against Washington State. But I think that's a matchup that the Ducks are going to say, hey, Birch is is peaking at the right time. Uh, yeah. We got our that Mateo's defensive tackle. is, is Mate, Mateo's coming on. They, their defensive tackle, 55, I forget the guy's name. Mate was in the backfield a bunch tonight, you know, so Brand they have to feel like, time. Hey, yeah, they have to feel like, Hey, we, uh, we can, we can make some plays. Now their secondary, you know, is apt to committing some penalties, but at the same times to Johnson and Dante Manning, uh, you know, and Kyrie Jackson, they'll, they'll, they'll get their hands on the balls too. And so they'll say, Hey, maybe we may tackle Roma Dunze for, you know, a couple PIs instead of giving up home run plays, but we may come up with a couple interceptions as well. So, Fantastic, fantastic matchup with with all the capital S stakes. Now, let's talk about another team that showed out on Friday night that is in the hunt for a playoff berth, the Texas Longhorns. Finally, Texas just torches an inferior opponent, shows off all that talent. Now, I got a little worried for a second, Jesse, because it felt like every time I looked up, there was an important offensive player limping off the field. Like you had JT Sanders, you had CJ Baxter, uh, Xavier Worthy at one point left out. None of them looked particularly serious, but they were kind of, you know, coming off the field. And then at the end of the game, and I realized that this has nothing to do with the playoff picture probably, but everybody wants to talk about it. Arch Manning takes the field. Makes his debut. But, I mean, he got more cheers for a five-yard run than uh, a, lot of, a lot of quarterbacks get for throwing game-winning touchdowns. I'll tell you who had a had a had a rough night in, in Austin tonight, Andy. I really hope Brett Yormark either got to go to Terry Black's or Franklin's or something, because that was a trip that he already could not have been looking forward to. Then no. Texas completely splatters Texas Tech after he they makes you know the wish highlights on the Jumbotron, like they only were showing us his art. And then at the end of the game, in the last 30 seconds, they literally put up his interview with 
Joey it's McGuire at the at yeah. the fan club just yeah. to troll him more, and the and the Longhorns crowd goes goes berserk again. So again, I hope he got some good BBQ in Austin today because otherwise that is a rough one. I think they could have scored seventy five points in this game, Andy, if they had a red yeah. zone offense. That I, is I, that I, is literally I, that's their bugaboo. They're one hundred twenty seventh yeah. entering this game. In five drives in the first half, they had to either settle for four field goals or Quinn threw an interception. They, they could have put up easy 75 points in this game. Yeah, I was getting a little bit frustrated at first watching that because I thought, okay, when are they ever going to just get off the shot? And then they did. And I, I think it was the, the long blue touchdown run w- was one of the ones that, that really – Pick six off the foot. Game. Yeah, and then and then returning the kickoff. So, like, it, it was – it was what you wanted to see because here's the thing. If we're going to talk player for player, Texas can play with anyone in the country. But they, they've had some things they need to clean up. They seem to be allergic to blowouts before. But this was what they needed to do. This is what you needed to see from Texas right now. I mean, Sweat and Murphy inside oh, are ridiculous. God. Those I guys. I, I that, so much. You talk about – you talk about – opposing guards you know having nightmares when when they have to see who's coming up oh my god that dude he he's he he's got some like he's got some jordan davis in him just in terms of raw power of the way he just punches and gets into the backfield i mean it's and moves incredibly he's 362 pounds like when he came on this show i i was like what are you weighing right now 362 and damn proud of it like that dude oh. can move. For, it, it's, just, it's incredible how light he is on his feet for that weight. Who do you want them to play next week? Who it, like in, in terms of in terms of like we just talk, we, you want them to play? Okay, because I was going to we yeah, just broke I, down the, the Pac-12 game. I want them to play Oklahoma too. Yeah. Now here's the thing. It has been all chalk this week. We got solid chalk on Friday. If it's all chalk, they're going to be playing Oklahoma State. And who knows? Maybe Mike Gundy pulls off some magic, but it would take BYU beating Oklahoma State. Actually, let's let's talk about that. This, this is the scenario: BYU, Oklahoma State. If Oklahoma State wins, they are in. If Oklahoma State loses, Oklahoma is in. K State is out at this point. Oklahoma with the scoregami today, turning a one-score game into a 69-45. Uh, back and forth shootout. I mean. TC, the vibes are terrible. I'll tell you this. Clob- yeah, they were yes, clobbering, they were clobbering them. TCU, and then and then TCU scored right. some. Right. Yeah, that's why I said twenty-eight straight points in the in the second quarter turned a one-score game just into a, a route. I man, the vibes. I the, not it doesn't normally happen, Andy, that you go to the national title game and then a year later everyone's talking about how terrible things are behind the scenes at a program, but that is. Seems to be where things are with the Horn Frogs right now. Meanwhile, Oklahoma has to feel pretty good. Brent Venables, 10-2, and two, bounce back season. Whether you play in the title game or not, this is certainly, I think, uh, the rebound that they needed to see after last year's tough year one. Yeah, this is exactly what they wanted. The offense is clicking on all cylinders at the right time. Now, the, but they were the ones who let the control slip out of their hands. They're the ones who lost to Kansas. They're the ones who lost in Bedlam. So they just have to watch. And 
they may not get another crack at it. And it's interesting, Jesse, because I was looking at the the like S and P plus and the FPI and all that. Oklahoma is actually ahead of, I believe they're ahead of Ole Miss and Penn State. I'm not sure if they're ahead of Missouri in those, but I think they're 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 kind of right with them. And so, if Oklahoma doesn't get to play in the in the Big Twelve championship game, they probably should be in line for a New Year's Six Bowl, but they might not get it because if you look at the rankings they're below all those teams and i was i was you know here with penn state tonight james franklin talking about playing in a new year six game missouri certainly feels like they're in ole miss i don't know if they're well, in or not. you're leading me down the path i think of all the games we've seen so far the last day plus plus the egg bowl this is these are all teams that are now in a log jam for only x amount of spots in these new year six games you just said it ole miss Missouri, Penn State, obviously Oklahoma uh, wants wants to see if they can crack that field. There's only so many spots. Uh, yeah. So Tulane, they won today to kind of stay, you know, uh, in contention for the top G5 spot. And they ironically I, lost I, I Ole Miss. are going to block it if they win next. If Tulane wins next week, they've got it. They beat for UTSA. Sure. Now, SMU will determine who plays against Tulane. If SMU wins tomorrow, it's SMU. If SMU loses, it's UTSA again. And and maybe UTSA won't commit so many turnovers. Yeah, that was a uh, – I think you tweeted out the um, the Acme gift. Yeah. I mean, that was some like – I mean, that was some Yosemite Sam or whatever you want to call it, you know, Roadrunner jumping baby. off the – Wiley the Coyote blow, blowing themselves up, shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, what, they had four turnovers in the first half. You throw an interception on a fake punt. They outgained Tulane today, uh, but Tulane got it. You know, you come up with the five turnovers, you get a couple stops on fourth down, and, and you stay undefeated in, in AAC play. Yeah, this is, and it was a it was a day when there was just not a lot of drama. the The real drama came in Lincoln, in a game that didn't have any playoff implications, didn't even have any conference implications because Iowa had already wrapped up the Big Ten West, but Nebraska was trying to get bowl eligible. That game was back and forth. The dueling interceptions at the end, I, I tweet it's the dumbest game in the history of the sport. Like, because you had Deacon Hill throwing a pick and then Chubba Purdy almost immediately after throws a pick. And somebody tweets at me, and I, I, I tend to agree, like, <laughs> Deacon Hill threw the interception on purpose to put Iowa in good field position to intercept a pass and set up a game-winning field goal by a kicker who hadn't kicked yet. It, I mean, you, you talk about just how much stupid was in this game. Chupa Purdy just, just fumbling the ball when he's just running as if, like, you know, a Ghostbuster came and just punched it out from him. Uh, the, the Matt Rule clock management, Iowa having two short field goals blocked, just unbelievably stupid. And it was who could outdumb, you know, or the next. And we got dumb and dumber and dumb and dumber too. And in the end, you know, Nebraska did what Nebraska does, which is lose close games. I think they're three in their last 18, Andy, in one score games. So three and 18. Marshall, Marshall uh, Meter, the Central Michigan kicker who had not kicked a field goal yet, comes in because. Again, they'd had some blocks, so they wanted to try a different kicker. Comes in, kicks the game winner, gets carried off, and he's the one carrying the Heroes Trophy around the field. 
How amazing was that? Ten and two in Nebraska. Ten and two in the regular season play, and Nebraska didn't score over twenty-two points in a, in what except for Michigan State in a single Big Twelve or Big Ten game all season. This is a hor- This was a horrific, horrific capital H horrific loss for Nebraska, though. Matt Rule oh, yeah. five and three, and you lose four straight games, three by a field goal each, and then one in overtime to end the regular season. That is brutal, brutal stuff. It, it is, and this is a, a program that needed those extra practices. Now, we, we watch the APRs. We watch everything else because, remember, there might not be enough 6-6 six and six teams. So, perhaps – because, you like, you've got to take it if, if that gets offered to you. I know Mississippi State's another one that could get the 5-7 and seven bowl because of the APR. Like They're the ones cheering that James that. Madison didn't get the waiver. Yeah, yeah. You've got to take that if you get a chance. So – but, yeah, Nebraska's got to get that figured out. I think Chuba, of the quarterbacks they have, probably ultimately gives them the best chance to win. But we'll see because I think he's probably going to wind up in a competition with somebody else. I, I don't know if it'll be Jeff Sims and Heinrich Harburg again or if it's going to be other people. But they got to get that, that position figured out because, look, their defense was awesome this year. Their offense had a ton of injuries, but it was also inept at pretty much all times. So – They've just they, – they have to get quarterback straight. In a, in a weekend where we've been just grubbing out on, on awesome Thanksgiving food, I think calling Chubba the best of Jeff Sims and, and that quarterback room is certainly apropos to being, you know, the skinniest kid, you know, that attended heavyweights camp because it is it's, – it's not, it's not a pretty bunch. I mean, that, that obviously is an area that Matt Rule absolutely has to hit the portal again uh, and look for an upgrade this offseason. Well, Will Rogers is available. Mississippi State quarterback Pete Noko is our guy. And on three reported that on Friday, uh, day after the Egg Bowl, Will Rogers plans to enter the portal. We're going to get a lot of these, Jesse. You know, if your coach gets fired, the portal opens immediately. If your coach does not get fired, it opens a week from Monday. There are going to be a lot of people in the portal. Uh, we're not going to speculate on guys who aren't in the portal yet because we saw one other company do that and get shredded for it. Uh, so we're not going to do that. But I certainly have my thoughts on uh, on some folks, and, and there are going to be some quarterbacks that are available. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I this is something that I'm going to do teaser hopefully folks don't steal this idea but kind of i've kind it's of been ma- it's lapping out i've been mapping out andy you know some of these uh transfer quarterbacks this past cycle and their successes and you know spoiler it really comes down to unless you are a bo nix that gets to stay somewhere for more than one season you are the outlier because if you are a plug and play one and done guy the likelihood is uh, you are not going to really raise, you know, the championship ceiling or even the, you know, the bowl ceiling of your team. The, the, the results thus far, sample size is small, but the results thus far are not, are not there. Whereas you and I both know every fan base on December 4th is going to be like, we won the day because we, you know, mm-hmm. we're rumored to get X transfer quarterback. Everyone thinks they're getting Russell Wilson. Everybody thinks they're going to rent Russell Wilson for a year, win the conference, and, and everything's going to be amazing. There's a reason that's only happened a couple times where there's been that one transfer who just – now, look, I will say, even if it had ended last year, if they'd both gone to the NFL after last year, Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix both 
really improved their team's fortunes in that first year now. But you saw this year what it meant in the second year. Yeah, same thing for Joe Burrow, uh, you know, who he, he what won eight or nine games with LSU in year one and then comes back year two and, and sets the world on fire and they win a national championship. So it'll be interesting. Will Rogers will, will certainly be the first of many, many quarterbacks that are going to, to toss their name into the portal, uh, yep. you know, in less than a week here. Now, we said we wouldn't speculate. Tony in the chat wants to speculate. He says Malik Murphy should transfer. I'm not going to talk about whether Malik Murphy should transfer, but I am going to say Arch Manning played. Jesse. He threw, he threw think, a couple seeds, too. Threw a couple that was seeds. a message, by the way. He got a full quarter. Here's the thing. Arch Manning's supposed to redshirt this year. Arch Manning's going to redshirt this year. You know why? Because Texas can only play three more games. This was by design, Jesse. He's the backup going forward. Yeah, yeah, and it's what was also I think interesting about it, Andy, is that you know the reports came out earlier this week. Again, we're not going to speculate. We'll see, but the reports came out that Quinn Ewers was ninety percent or something to that mm-hmm. effect to to come back to Texas this next season. And there was a lot of well, what does this mean for Arch Manning? And I think you know this was maybe an, an indication of. Steve Sarkeesian saying, hey, we do see you as the future, not necessarily Malik, and we want to give you some burn when we can. And if Quinn does come back, maybe we'll still find ways to get you into the game where, where your you know, sophomore season or redshirt year two is not a complete sit on the bench type deal. Yeah, and, and I don't think they're looking at it as a he must start or else because – Usually he must start or else people don't care if they redshirt. Like, clearly this was a plan. This was planned all along. And there was a – I remember talking to Bobby Burton after the Kansas State game because they were worried if Quinn couldn't come back for TCU, Malik Murphy was turning the ball over at an alarming rate in the K-State game. Like, they were worried they might need to play Arch then. Clearly they were trying to get within that four-game window. So now he's played one. If they make the playoff, they could – conceivably play three more they're definitely going to play two more so it's a question of if you need him do you go to him or do you go to malik yeah and we'll, we shall we shall find out depending on how texas plays a week from now and how the rest of the playoff field unfolds how much how much jonathan smith talk was it was in the press box up there with you at, at mission so Today? much I, and i put up dj's uh dj's comment in the chat jonathan smith is a great coach he wins with no NIL, terrible re- recruiting location, and no history of winning. He would do great at Michigan State. He would do great anywhere, guys. But Michigan State seems to be the best job where he is in the mix for right now. I think if UCLA were to open, that would be one. He's from Pasadena. But I also wonder, Jesse, remember when like, the UCLA talk started after they lost to Arizona State? And then it quieted down after they beat USC. I was kind of wondering if that was maybe... You know, because that's when everybody really was was into Jed Fish. And perhaps that was a, okay, we're going to make a preemptive run at Jed Fish before maybe before his alma mater, Florida, can try to get him after after next year if they have to make a change. Uh, but with Jonathan Smith, I, I think, I don't know if UCLA is going to open. I think Chip Kelly may be safe. And if Michigan State wants you and you're Jonathan Smith and you're sitting there in conference limbo at Oregon State, even though it's your alma mater, 
take Michigan State. They have tons of money. You can get good players there. They have NIL resources. Like, it's it's a place you can win. And if you can win in this Pac-12 at Oregon State, you can win in that Big Ten at Michigan State. Well, and, and I think the biggest – the reason why it's kind of a puzzle piece, I think, that fits together nicely – is that Jonathan Smith's going to bring stability and he's going to bring structure. And this is clearly a program uh, that needs that from the fallout of Mel Tucker. And they're going to give him rope to do that, to build that. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that, Andy, I think this is just, and it's not, not unforeseen. You and I have been hearing this smoke and this has been, you know, behind the scenes. I think a lot of folks thought that whether it was Michigan state or somewhere else, that Jonathan Smith was probably not long, for his alma mater. He's done a great job in Corvallis, but this is extremely destabilizing for that program, which now is entering a new phase in this sport that really it, it's, it, you feel, you feel gutting, you feel gutted for those fans because yeah. tough way to end the season. And then now you're going to lose your beloved head coach. Um, the, tough, the good tough. news is there's some veteran coaches who are experienced in that part of the country who seem to want to get back in right now. And like, Maybe that's Bronco Mendenhall's job if Jonathan Smith leaves. You know, like, I, I, th I actually think they're going to have some options that maybe you wouldn't think they would. But if you're Jonathan Smith and a Big Ten Gary school, Patterson has his hand job, raised. Take it. <laughs> Gary Patterson would love that job. <laughs> yeah, he has his hand raised. I don't know if he'll get it, but he has his hand raised. Yeah, it, I mean, if I can get Bronco in that job, if he wants it, I, I would love to hire him for that job. I'm not Scott Barnes, so I don't get a choice. I don't get a vote. But I do think that, that Smith, wherever he lands, would be good. If he lands in the Big Ten, if it's Michigan State, the style of play he prefers would work in the league. Yeah, and this, I think, you know, it creates a uh, – it's just another if, – if and when this goes down, it's just going to start to create, you know, some dominoes in the coaching carousel. And that's what I think is, is just going to happen – with some of these jobs, it's it's not necessarily who's getting fired so much this cycle, Andy. It's going to be who gets plucked and then who gets, you know, placed, uh, you know, into these openings. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, and, and this stuff's going to come fast and furious now, Jesse. We could see jobs being filled as early as tomorrow. And, well... It's tomorrow already on the East Coast. It's it's twelve fifteen Eastern time, so it's already Saturday. We can see jobs filled today. We're gonna see jobs filled tomorrow, and then the ones that don't get filled today or tomorrow, assume that the person they're hiring is in a conference championship game. Yeah, and and this is all a lot of this is is the behind the scenes machinations where it's predicated on this transfer portal window that opens up December 4th and you have to have your ducks in a row and you have to have an idea of not only who, who's going to jump in the portal, who's going to leave your program from the portal and who are you trying to identify. So you need to have uh, at least a head coach who has some ideas of what's going to be in place there. Less uh, of kind of an emphasis, I think on the early signing period 
for a lot of these transition programs because of the portal, but that's still at least a factor. So there's going to be, there's going to be, you know, I think some movement could happen fairly quickly at A&M, obviously Mississippi state. Um, Those programs are looking, you know, to make some moves. And I think if the way those likely go down, you're going to see movement then within other schools because they're likely to poach a, a sitting head coach. Yeah, we're going to see dominoes this time. It's not going to be a lot of coordinator ascensions. And there are, actually aren't a ton of, of hot coordinators out there right now. So we're, we're definitely going to see some some dominoes when the sitting head coaches get hired. Uh, it will be will be a fun one. Oh, we've got, uh, we've got Dan Mullen, met with Syracuse AD John Wildhack Wild on Wednesday. So, yeah, I don't know why he would take that job. Now, Dan Mullen, uh, Syracuse was uh, was a place he he worked early in his career. He's from New Hampshire, so obviously that that makes sense. But you've got some other names to, to replace Dino Babers. That was uh, Dan, Central's if, Tommy Sladek reporting that, by the way. If I'm Dan Mullen and I'm getting I'm leaving the TV game, I'm 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 taking a better job than that. I'm sorry. He he can get. I mean, that, he can get a. That's one of the that's one of the five hardest jobs in, in the Power Five. He might as well go back and get get another cat get get another uh, check from Mississippi State over that one. Yeah, I well, and I don't I don't know that he's up for Mississippi State, and we'll, we'll yeah, see I don't either that job. And but I, I I think you're probably talking about a sitting head coach somewhere in the FBS for for Mississippi State, and we'll we'll see again. Like that's one of those. Let's say SMU wins the American. Like if Mississippi State, well, actually, because I think Barry Odom might be up for that job too. UNLV might be the Mountain West Championship. We didn't mention Boise State winning on Friday. Boise State's in the Mountain West Championship game. If UNLV wins, they're in too. That'll be a fun Mountain West Championship game. But the boy, you got an interim staff at Boise State coaching that. Like those guys, have yeah, which, been fired. Right. Well, and, but and it sounds like they could they they like that guy who they promoted as their interim head coach because they've now ripped off several straight wins. I'm blanking on his name. But that, to your point about that you made earlier, you're not going to see a lot of coordinators plucked. That's good news for a program that we also saw win today, Andy, like Missouri, which yeah. Eli Drinkwitz has done a great job hiring a staff with Blake Baker uh, and, and Kirby well, Moore. The problem is, like, Kirby and, Moore could be – Kirby Moore, the OC he, at Missouri, where did he go to school? Boise right. He, he could be Boise State's head coach. Uh, but I do think that there are some other, you know – uh, guys that they maybe have with head coaching experience. So if Eli is able to keep this staff together, you win 10 games, yeah. you just completely splatter uh, Arkansas tonight. Cody Schrader with his fifth straight 100-yard game, just yep. he continues his remarkable story. That that would be the type of momentum that this Tigers program needs entering you know 2024 when you're losing a veteran offensive line. Schrader's going to be off to the NFL. Uh, but if you are able to have that staff continuity, that staff retention, that would be huge. Spencer Danielson, your your interim at Boise State, and he's actually got Spencer Danielson commit. He's gotten four guys to commit since being becoming the interim coach after Avalos got fired. It's a it's an interesting situation. It really is. There's a lot of that. Like there's a lot of fascinating conference championship games. Whatever the Mountain West ends up being is going to be fun to watch. The the American is going to be interesting whether it's a Tulane UTSA rematch or Tulane SMU, which by the way, Tulane SMU could be two, 
two potential Mississippi State head coaches, Willie Fritz and, and Rhett Lashley. So there, there's there's a lot of drama. Jesse, I know there might be some people listening to this in podcast form on Saturday morning drive into games. Can you believe that we are only hours away from the kickoff of Ohio State, Michigan, and possibly the most contentious version of Ohio State, Michigan we have ever seen? I can't wait. Plus three and a half for the Buckeyes. Let's go. That's what I got. So, all right. We got all chalk on Friday. Like even well, actually, it wasn't chalk because Iowa was the underdog at least when the, the line opened. It, did it go stayed on. there. It stayed. It stayed yeah. at two and a half. Remarkably. Yeah. So, so other than Iowa beating Nebraska, which I still I don't consider that really an underdog winning. It was all chalk. What will get weird Saturday? Ohio State, Michigan's too closest. Like it's a, it's basically a pick'em. That's not necessarily like we think that'll get weird for other reasons. But as far as who wins, it's not weird if either one of them wins. But like, would it be Florida, Florida State? Would it be BYU, Oklahoma State? Where's the potential for complete weirdness? I'm, I think you got. I think I'm gonna stay in the Sunshine State. I, I think that because we're talking two backup quarterbacks, I think the swamp's gonna be charged. We we don't know what we're going to get from Max Brown, but I think I I I would be surprised if we did not get a spirited Florida performance coming off. I know what was you know a really shitty loss uh, at the end of Missouri there, but I think if you bounce back and kind of show you know you, you're facing a top rival, top five team, if you win, Billy Napier will get so much goodwill getting this team to a bowl game, the 15 practices for the youngest team. The continued oh, recruiting momentum, huge. I uh, would huge for them. Just such a so. I think this game. I don't. I'm not saying Florida's going to win, but I think this game could get weird. That so, I I think that might go the other way. Like I, we don't know much about Tate Rodemaker other than what we saw when he had to go in against Louisville last year, and then then what we saw last week with that was North Alabama. We've never seen him when he's had a week to practice with the ones. He's got a lot of weapons that I'm not sure that Florida defense can cover because we've watched that Florida defense play all year. That one, I don't know. That might not get weird. Like, that might be Florida State saying, you know what? We're still here. We're still going to make the playoff. We're going to go 13-0. and That if, if Oklahoma State-BYU were in Provo, I'd be a little more confident in the weirdness. That game is in Stillwater. I, I think we may see Mike Gundy and company against Texas and in, in, in the Big 12 championship game. You, you got you got me Iron Bowl, you know, uh, Jordan oh, Hare voodoo. I, I can't go there. I cannot get myself there. I can't I either. Can't. I can't either. Yeah, I, I think that I think that I think that's got demolition derby written all over it. And and I'd say I'd say this means one of them's going to be just bananas. But I keep saying that it keeps not happening. But what but what's interesting, Jesse, is if, if we don't get bananas, if we get chalk, we're going to have a very controversial, confusing, contested four-team college football playoff picture going into championship week. Which is how they set up the, the field to begin with, Andy. When you, when you have a four-team playoff in a, in a 
five power five structured mm-hmm. uh, college football league. That that's that's kind of how they set it up from from the uh, beginning there. So we'll see if that how, if that plays out. Obviously, historically, this has all kind of settled itself. That doesn't mean we're not in store for for kind of a bananas outlier year. So. I can't wait. It kicks off at noon. I think you could see. I think you could see other craziness that maybe wouldn't necessarily impact the playoff picture. But you know, does does Louisville continue? To, you know, because they, I think they need to win really for Florida State's sake as much as anybody. Because Florida State absolutely wants that to be a top ten, top yep. seven ish win in two weeks. If Louisville lays an egg against Kentucky, suddenly that. You know, it could be something uh, yeah, that does they, ding. They need Louisville to win and go in, go into that game at eleven and one. Also, right. okay, for Texas, and I realize we're looking ahead. Does Texas need Oregon to win against Washington to get another thirteen and O team off the board? Uh, yeah, I guess I I think so. You know, some were saying that Texas wants Alabama. Uh, to beat Georgia, but I actually think you could make the argument that actually they want they should want Georgia to win. That way, Alabama is oh, no. just a one loss team off the board. And then you they don't even have Georgia to make that comparison. Yeah, yeah, you you like if you're Florida State, if you're Texas, even if you're twelve and one Oregon, depending on how things go, if you end up winning that championship game, right. you want Georgia to beat Alabama because that means there's there's no chance of because the problem of Alabama beating Georgia for all these other teams is you will then be compared. Not to Alabama, but to Georgia. And guess what the committee's going to say? If you played, we think Georgia would win. Georgia's ahead of you. Yeah. So we're we're in we're in lockstep there. Yep. Jesse, this is going to be so much fun. I, I I'm going I'm I'm going to bed. I don't know if I'm going to sleep, but I'll be in Ann Arbor in a few hours. I cannot wait. This is going to be so much fun. Guys, thank you they for won't. watching. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you after the games tomorrow night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.